Hello and welcome to the Culture Blast podcast. I'm your host, Farah Nayeri, and I'm delighted to bring you another episode of our show, which a great many of you are tuning into from all around the world. Thank you. As you know, Culture Blast is a series of deep-dive interviews with personalities from all cultural disciplines. My most recent guest was Ai Weiwei. Before that, I interviewed Emma Thompson, Niall Rogers, Nan Golden, Elif Shafak, and Wayne McGregor. I now bring you another global superstar, Charlotte Gainsbourg, actor, singer-songwriter, filmmaker, artist, and all-around polymath. Charlotte is, as everyone knows, the daughter of the musician, singer-songwriter, poet, actor, and filmmaker Serge Gainsbourg, and the actor, singer, and performer Jane Birkin. At age 14, Charlotte became the youngest person ever to win an acting award at the César, the French equivalent of the Oscars. 24 years later, in 2009, she won the Best Actress Award at the Cannes Film Festival for her performance in Lars von Trier's movie Antichrist, which shocked some audiences with scenes of violence, sex, and sadomasochism. Charlotte also has five albums to her name, with songs written for her by superstars such as her father Serge Gainsbourg and Paul McCartney. On her most recent album, Rest, she has written most of the lyrics herself. Here is what her mother, Jane Birkin, said about Charlotte at the time of the album's release. I always felt that looking at Charlotte was like looking into a very still pond, under which you knew there was great agitation and great conflict. This episode of Culture Blast is sponsored by Ingrid's Dotter, a new Swedish design brand named after my mother. Influenced by the upbringing in a Swedish forest, I strive to produce iconic objects with outstanding beauty and performance that respect our environment. The objects, created by the most brilliant in the industry, are found in some of the finest restaurants in Stockholm and homes in Sweden and are made to last for generations. To find out more, please visit ingridsdotter.com. Charlotte Gainsbourg, thank you so much for accepting our invitation and joining the pantheon of artist guests of Culture Blast. A very warm welcome to you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very happy. To be there at a distance, but still. Charlotte, this coming fall, you're planning to open the Maison Gainsbourg, your family home, and the home of your father, Serge Gainsbourg, on the Rue de Verneuil in Paris's 7th arrondissement. Why have you decided to open this museum, and what exactly are visitors going to see? So it's not ready, and it won't be ready for the fall we're keeping. We're late. As usual, but I mean, for that kind of project, surprises and delays. So we're hoping it'll be at the end of the year. He died 31 years ago, and um, I wanted to keep his house as it was. I think at the time it was it was a way for me to refuse his death and, um, you know, keep everything frozen uh, everything that was in the fridge, the the food outside, uh, everything. 
as if he he was going to come back. Um, so I have brothers and sisters. I have, on my father's side, I have a sister and two brothers. I asked them if they wanted to join me in, in this um, project, but we're not very close. We haven't been brought up together. So, so they took little things that, I mean, the, their memories, even with those pieces missing, uh, it was still so strong. The place was so, um, as it was. Yeah, very, very powerful. So, um, during those 30 years, I have had episodes where I tried to make it a museum, um, François-Henri Pinault and, uh, uh, Jean Nouvel were trying to help me and Jean Nouvel had a crazy project. It was wonderful. He wanted to open the house, but inside a, a glass box yeah. <laughs> that looks very much like his work. But it was too expensive. And, and then I freaked out because that was maybe 15 years ago. And at the time, a film was being made on, on my father. An exhibition was getting prepared. A book also with all his manuscripts. And uh, so with all these events happening, I I suddenly wanted to keep him for myself a little longer and thought I'm not I'm not ready to share this. It's the only remaining thing that that is still a little secret that's still my my secret. I I used to go there, you know, to, to be on my own. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to visit the house. Um, entering, but it's so small that we've had to make passages through the outside also. You can go in, but you can't really go in the kitchen, but you can still see everything. The visit of the house is only about half an hour and with only five people at a time. So it's very, very, it has to be very well organized. But I was aware that it might be a bit frustrating um, having gone all that mm. way j- just for half an hour. So we found a place in front of the Saint Bis Rue de Verneuil. And, and that'll be the place where there'll be a sort of, um, little museum about his life and going through I important see. things and then a little coffee place and a little boutique. Oh. And so that it'll look like a proper museum. And so, um, this house was your home until the age of nine when your parents, uh, Serge Gainsbourg and Jane Birkin, separated. Can you take us back to your memories of that place and, and sort of describe the atmosphere? I understand your father had his grand piano in the salon and many precious objects, and there was black felt wallpaper, and you and your sister Kate were not really allowed there in case you broke things. Can you speak a little bit about being in that house as a little girl? I had three period of time with with this house with my father. Yes, the first nine years were with Kate, my sister, in a nursery room. In fact, that he rented because it wasn't part of the house. There was a, a hole in the wall, so a proper door, and it it did seem like it was part of the house. But weirdly enough, when my mother left him, he tried to buy that little nursery room, and they refused, so he had to give it up. And it meant putting bricks and uh, oh, yeah. closing the door, which was so uh, shocking. And until... 
today I thought that he wanted to close that door, that it was his decision. And my mother said, no, no, no. In fact, he wanted to buy the the nursery, but, but he couldn't. So anyway... I continued to go there, of course, because, but without Kate. Kate at that time met her real father, John Barry, and was going away to see him in New York quite often. And, uh, right. And my father took me over the weekends with a stepmother, Bamboo, that I adored. Uh, she was only 12 years older than me, so she was like a, a big sister taking me in uh, many places and uh, taking care of me. So that was a, the second part of the life Rue de Verneuil. And then the third part was just before his death, I was in a very bad crisis, uh, bad romance, uh, ending romance. He saw what state I was in and invited me to live with him again. He gave me the key. No, he was about to give me the key and he died uh, two days later. So it was such a shock that I had these three... Um, but the first moments, yeah, three, three moments and three perspective of different lives. Uh, so the first one was not seeing them very often, both my father and my mother, because they had a very eccentric life. Uh, well, eccentric going into nightclubs and all that night scene <laughs> of the 70s in Paris, very happy. Um, I really saw my parents having fun. That was the, the thing that I think is such a treasure for me today is that, first of all, they really wanted me. So, uh, you know, in French, you say un enfant de l'amour. Um, child of love. A child of love. Uh, that was for sure. Going up in the morning, um, my parents coming back from nightclubs, uh, just saying hello. And, and we went off to school and often my mother would pick us up because they weren't at all workaholics. So it was, yeah. she had um, shoots here and there, but um, when it was outside of uh, Paris, very often she'd take us with her. And then there was Normandy, which was her house, because the Rue de Verneuil was very much my father's house, even when she was there. It was his decoration, his uh, his yeah. furniture, his way of putting things. Mm-hmm. But, but, I mean, I would like you to describe just briefly what that living room of your father's was like, the one that was quite dark and, and papered it, in black. Yeah, well, it was uh, with futrine, so it's, um, it's a fabric that, that absorbs noise, really. The whole house was covered in black, um, very elegant tiles uh, on the floor, and then going up um, the carpeting that he bought it, Higgins, which was a, an antique store, uh, but every single piece was chosen and you couldn't move. He was so maniac <laughs> that you couldn't move an object. He saw. When my mother was living with him, there were fewer objects. It wasn't, it didn't look like a museum yet. He, he became more of a collector and with a lot of objects everywhere. So I would sit on the floor when I came for the weekends and, you know, have my little space that I knew I, I wasn't um, putting him off. I was always on the floor, in fact, 
but it, it was the space I had mm-hmm. because he didn't want me to learn the piano because he, what he said was that it was so traumatizing learning with his father because his father was so strict. Um, he didn't want me to go through that uh, suffering. But I really wanted to start, so my mother understood that, and I started when we left. And then I was able to come back and show him what, you know, what I was learning. And it did give, I think, Charlotte Forever, that single we made, uh, was from a a piece that I was uh, playing at home for him. But I wasn't, I was never on the big Steinway. I was on the mechanic piano. Um, but it was great. It was one that that he got in the 80s, I think. Um, he would record himself. It was a piano cordaire. Mm-hmm. You could record on a tape, and then the piano would play um, on its own with the touch, with his touch. So it was incredible. And he would go through new music, um, new pieces that he he was composing, and then asking my mother, Bambou, Philippe Le Richaume, who was working with him, and me. And at the time, I was... 10 and he would ask me what were my preferences it was so uh, generous of him to include me in his work i mean you have so many privileged moments and memories in that home so many of course most of which you can't share with the general public but i think I did, that everyone... um, what i what i what i did for the for the museum was and i hope it'll work well but i did a, a recording of the whole house the way i saw it as a, as a child so so people will be able to understand my point of view and then hopefully we can invite other people to to do that same recording but with their point of view so it'll give a a new life for the house yeah. uh, you know in the in the following years I mean, I think it will be an absolutely massive success. Uh, Charlotte, your father was an extraordinary man, a poet, singer, songwriter, director, actor, esthete. He was also in public a provocateur, projecting an image of himself as someone who led a dissolute life and who had a close relationship with you. Can you speak about this dual personality that Serge Gainsbourg had? I can't exp- I mean, I, everybody has... Uh many personalities he he just pushed it he needed the provocation being so shy um i mean he always told me that with his physique at the beginning with the with women it was very hard for him to to be convincing and suddenly much later on he he became very successful with women and and very you know he of course he had the charm he had but he was so insecure at the beginning that it's not to say that he wasn't sweet he was very sweet but he needed to be acerbe to be you know to cut things um i don't know what yeah his spirit and exactly his, um... uh so With the shyness and the fact that he had to be drunk on TV, if not, he was so nervous he couldn't deal with it. Um, made yeah, made him make, <laughs> um, make many mistakes. Well, I I don't find them mistakes personally because at the time it was embarrassing for me as a kid. But but today I cherish those moments because 
I feel that that's um, also part of stuff that we would need today and not, uh, you know, not condemn. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was basically covering up a lot of vulnerability. Yes. Reserved. He was very reserved. reserved. And with his body and his, uh, yes, his yeah. physique, um, it was um, something he needed to hide. And so, um, I don't know, it, it, but it was part of his art also. The provocation was not only the show off, uh, you know, moments. Uh, moments on TV or or on stage it it wasn't really that it was also he was extremely respectful extremely uh, polite and you know people who have known him especially taxi men and he would invite people all the time and and so he was extremely elegant um and never vulgar, just a grossier. Grossier is very, is very different than vulgar. Crude. Crude. crude, yeah. So all of these different aspects of his personality are, are really, you can't take one and, and throw the other. They're all yeah. part of who he was. I understand. But I mean, the result is that he's very much misunderstood you know, and sometimes he even encouraged the misunderstanding by making the recording with you, Lemon Incest. You know, all these people went off thinking, oh, gosh, why is he shooting this video uh, with his young daughter? What's going on? You know, he would sometimes, I guess, encourage this image, which doesn't really correspond to what you were just describing of someone so incredibly respectful and discreet. Well, but the thing is, I... I wasn't shocked and I was the first one who could have been shocked by the song. The, but the lyrics are very clear, uh, in French, of course, not the, not the chorus, but the lyrics say the love that, you know, the love is so pure and the love is the love that we'll never make together. I mean, it's not a long time ago. I was able to sing the song without him, but. Yeah, you um, do. Still sing it on stage. And it's, for me, it's the most beautiful song he wrote for, for me. I cherish the song. I, I understand people being shocked by the, the chorus, but what can I say? I, it, it was a big deal at the, at the time. And, and, uh, yeah. And he, it was part of what he enjoyed. Um, so I can't say that he was surprised by the reception of the song. Um, and then of course the, he did many other stuff like burning the, yeah, the 500, 500 bills. Frank bill yeah, um, on TV. And that was also part of the, of his character. And he couldn't, he couldn't not do it. It was, you know, it was... I mean, he was basically saying that the tax man is taking half my money and so he burned a 500 franc bill in half, right? Well, it wasn't half. At, at the time, it was more like 75%. Oh, 75%, yeah. <laughs> but he was just making a point. To be honest, I'm a few years older than you, but um, I kind of feel like I grew up with you and I grew up in, in France at that time. And I mean, I wasn't shocked. I knew... This was a provocation. Also, people loved it at the time. It was, we were not prude uh, like today. Um, we've gone really a step back. At the time, there was no fear of um, saying stuff out loud. 
um, you weren't, you were not going to be cancelled the way you are today. So he took advantage of that. It's very interesting to to go back to these years um, because of the museum we're doing. I'm going through all his life until his death, and it's uh, it's so rich and so creative. And he had a very short life, but uh, very dense. Mm, definitely. And so you've spoken about the drinking on uh, other um, interviews, and and I, I was wondering how you felt about it because in one other program, I think you were saying that sometimes you would you know, be scolding of him or try to hide the bottles. I mean, oh, I guess yeah. the drinking did disturb you as a little girl. I don't think it, well, it did help me not to drink myself. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah. yeah, and we had other problems that kept me out of drugs too, but that wasn't my father. So I was, uh, in a sense, I was very well brought up because I knew what I, what I shouldn't do. Yeah. Not when I was little, but uh, later on, I felt like a, a cop trying to, you know, go quickly in the minibar to take all the bottles out. And, um, and then he was very often drunk and I had to deal with it. But he was, he was not dangerous. He was a, he was a very sentimental drunk. So he was holding my shoulder to get out of a restaurant, yeah. that kind of stuff. But I was so used to it that I was never complaining. Um, it's just when, just before he died, we did a, a trip together. That was the only time I was so mad at him that I closed my eyes and went to sleep on the plane coming back from Barbados and he had been so good there, you know, only having one cocktail. And I mean, he was <laughs> begging for uh, this one cocktail a day. And then I fell asleep and he he was completely drunk when I woke up. And I was so mad. But in fact, he was already um, ill, which meant that... A little amount would make him drunk, so it wasn't, and it was on a plane, so of course you get drunk much uh, quicker. So anyway, I I came back and I was furious, but like a, mm. I don't know, like a grown up with a with a boy, with a little boy, and he was very sweet about it, and I wasn't traumatized. It was difficult no. because, but he, you know, I've heard stories of drunken parents who. Um, who are very violent. My father was never violent. So it was just a matter of him crying a lot and <laughs> going to a Russian uh, restaurant and crying over Yiddish Mame and uh -huh. stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, well, he was an extraordinary character. He was. And I mean, you know, people who lived in France or who are French, I include myself in that category. I mean, the affection that we have for Serge Gainsbourg is sort of infinite. That's what makes the museum possible today is that I can feel that people are still so in love with him, so in love with those years, um, his presence on the... Oh, yeah. Uh, so I feel that they'll be so happy to go in. For the f for foreigners, it's much more what you've talked about, the 
you know, the provocation and the scandalous、um, character that he was, sometimes people see that,、mm-hmm. or they see only、um, Melody Nelson, or they see only Je t'aime moi non plus.、Um, in France, we're lucky enough that we have the whole picture. Yeah, absolutely. So let's move on to the other、um, parent that you have, equally extraordinary. Um, your mother, Jane Birkin, is also a 20th century icon, a legendary beauty actor, singer, performer who stunned audiences in Antonioni's blow up in 1966, and of course, famously has an Hermes handbag named after her. <laughs> <laughs> she, <laughs> she too, initially had a public image as this tall, beautiful, sexy partner of Serge Gainsbourg, which maybe didn't do justice to the fact that she herself is a highly intelligent, articulate artist of great depth and talent. And that definitely comes across in your recent documentary about her, Jane by Charlotte,、mm. which came out last year and it had me sobbing uncontrollably at the end. <laughs>、um, oh, that's it's, it's very moving. Can you? Tell us a bit more about the real Jane Birkin and then we'll move on to discussing you. No, no, no. <laughs> But I was so happy to be able to, to do this film. It was difficult at the start because I didn't explain what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing. I just asked her if I could film her on tour.、Um, mm-hmm. And I was living in New York at the time.、Um, so the distance made our relationship. Much more, not difficult, but just、uh, distant, of course.、Yeah. And the moments we had together were rare. So it was a, a question for me of just getting close and keeping close. And、uh, she, she understood that. But then I did this first interview where I went straight into very personal questions, a very,、uh, maybe a conversation we've never had before. And she really hated it. So we stopped for two years. And after that, being able to be in an editing room, looking at her so close. And that's what I wanted. I wanted to be able to, to look at her, to touch her, of course, but take photographs and be,、uh, yeah, be, be very intimate.、Uh, so the editing was incredible, an incredible moment. And then showing the film and, Understanding that it was touching for other people was such、oh, a surprise.、Yeah. It was、uh, really、uh, a very, very special、uh, project that took a long, long time. I was relieved because I felt I had such a responsibility with her. It's a wonderful, wonderful memory and time we spent together, and I cherish、uh, that film. But as the The mother I had,、mm-hmm. there are also, I feel, more than three or four. She has had different lives. Kate was born four years before me,、um, and she was the child of John Barry. And that was, my mother was so young, she was 19. Then this life with my father. Doing a lot of、uh, funny films.、Um, she was wonderful in these films, but. She felt that people were not taking her seriously enough. And、uh, with the music, it was always with my father or with my father、yeah. behind her. So I think that when she left for Jacques Doyon,、uh, who was director, director、um, she was entering a world that she had never 
come close to, well, maybe in Blow Up, but not not as an actress. She wasn't, um, or what she would feel was a serious actor. And she became that serious actor thanks to Jacques Doyon. And she had suddenly uh, many years in, in films and theatre with uh, Patrice Chéreau. And she suddenly yeah. was a, an actor that was, yes, taken taken seriously and continuing the music. And she always says that the the lyrics that my father wrote after they split were the, the most beautiful ones because, of course, with the pain and the, the suffering, it, it's true, the songs are uh, really incredible. Yeah. And then she, she split, uh, well, they separated with Jacques Doyon and she had another life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of charity work that she had started... Um, when Lou, my little sister, was born, she was already yeah. doing that, but it became so much a part of her life. Um, and then today she's still touring and I know. she's had, yeah, she's had many, many sufferings and uh, the death, oh, the of, death of my sister. I mean, she's had a, a, an incredible life, in, in fact. But the thing is, um, it's very lovely to see a woman, an incredible woman, an intellectual, um, a person with, with a great mind come into her own as a woman, as an intellect, as an actor. It's, it's, and you kind of bring that out even more, you know, your, your film is an homage to who your mother really is. Because very often she would hide and still today she hides behind the lyrics of my father. So being very respectful of, um, you know, the reason she's there was thanks to him. And she's always thanking uh, people around her. But she is incredible. And she was, of course, a muse for my father, but not only a muse. I mean, she she sort of dictated his way of his style, his uh, ripeto shoes with no socks, yeah. the jeans, the, the beard, you know, unshaven. And that sort of shaggy style was completely hers and her input so um i i hope in the film i was able to show the also the eccentricity the english uh madness that she has uh she's a real real character so charlotte we are going to now move on to talking about you (laughs) i mean as a child you measured yourself up to your parents, I believe you said unfavorably, you felt less beautiful than your mom, less talented than your dad. You went through some insecurities, which of course all children have. Yet, I mean, I think you clearly are a combination of those two individuals. And in an interview, I heard you say, you don't feel you're an actor, you don't feel you're a singer, and that's fine. And again, I felt like that was another way of saying I don't really measure up to my mother and father but that's fine exactly i've i've come to terms well sort of because sometimes it's still you know it's it's still difficult to feel that you have a value but but i think i was less embarrassed when i was very young because when i started at 12 i didn't know who my parents were I knew their work and I was listening to everything they were doing, but I wasn't aware of the 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 awe that other people and the success that they had. Because also my father had a was very successful uh, close to the end. I mean, the ten last years of his life. Um, so anyway, the 
to, to be aware of his genius, um, that came quite late. And I was able to enter into cinema, I mean, do films and do music without asking myself too many questions and not being too ashamed. I was already in when I started questioning my my <laughs> talent or right. my value. I already had a, uh, a foot in inside cinema. And music was harder because it took me 20 years to go back. It's easier now because I write my own lyrics and that gives me the idea that uh, only I could do it, even if it's not great poetry it's still what I have to say well I think it is actually I think it is I think you are a very good writer um, of lyrics I was reading I was on Spotify this morning looking up um, the lyrics of your songs and they're very beautiful Um, you are a poet in French and in, in English so I think that but it's you know I don't think there's any doubt about that but it's very difficult when you when the bar is so high up and you've put your father on such a pedestal and with reason, um, it's very hard to not compare yourself. Of course, you shouldn't. We're all different and all of that. But once you're trying to work, the comparison comes so often. And with films, being an actress is easier because... Because of the projects, because those don't compare. Um, it, they don't compare in the same way. But mm-hmm. the physical part was a nightmare for me. And, well, still is, in a way. I accommodated myself uh, being the the age I am, of course. But it's still sort of a, a frustration of not being who I would like to be. Well, who would you like to be? No, but already my, my mother used to say that she was embarrassed having the physique, the physique that she had, and I can't really believe that, but still she said that because she said that her mother was so elegant and she was like a Hollywood beauty. And um, so, okay, but yeah, <laughs> it's, I find that, yeah, it's it's very difficult when you have... Such a beautiful mother. And also my stepmother was incredibly beautiful. So the the problem we had in this family was that the aesthetics were so Yeah. Were so valuable. That I really regret. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's also a product maybe of your father and his generation and the fact that female beauty was just such a huge thing. Yeah. And I think this whole issue of women and self-image is really something that I hope that with time will get uh, resolved a bit more. Well, I'm mm. not sure because I thought when I when I moved to New York, because I, I had to get away from my sister's death and it was I went there with my my girls because my son didn't want to come. So they were, well, especially my 12-year-old, she was straight into the American culture and it was so much about physique and it was so much the uh, les réseaux sociaux, social media. And, and my God, the, I think it's worse today. Because if you're not in those 
canon de beauté if you don't have boobs if you don't have um, yeah. a very small waist I mean all the codes are so uh, strict and you can't look the way you are I think it's much worse today top models at my time uh, with Kate Moss and I mean beautiful beautiful women but all different and not you know I don't know the the marker is so dull today it's so I mean dull it, it's so monotone yeah it's so uniform it there's no fantasy enfin, it's it's boring yeah No, but it's also, I mean, uh, a problem, isn't it? I mean, I don't know how... But I thought that with all that revolution of women and the voices coming out, and I thought that we would, the great path would be to not be these sort of bimbos, you know, to put not put that forward, and on the contrary. So I don't know what we're looking for. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. I I agree with you completely. But I mean, I also disagree with you because I think that, I mean, everyone knows you have an identity and a personality that are exclusively you. When you say the word or the name Charlotte in France, everyone knows who that is. And it's not because you are the daughter of, it's because you are who you are. People idolize you really as a, as all kinds of different things as, as a singer, songwriter, uh, as an actor, as a performer, a style icon. You know, people really, they really um, adore you. Uh, and so I was just, you know, wondering how did you do it? Because you, you have these two huge, you know, titans as um, parents. Yeah, I, I don't see myself as... Um a lot of people have said that they grow, grew up with Les Frontiers and being my generation, Les Frontiers. And, and so films that have marked um, big steps in inside a life of, uh, you know, being a teenager and then a young woman. Um, so maybe that counted. But style, yes, I have my own, but I don't feel that it's... Um, I mean, I pinched things from my parents and other people, for sure, but it's not... um, Then I do with the way I am. I have no... I'm completely... I look like a a guy. Um, So I've had to find... uh, things to wear that <laughs> I don't think you look like a guy but anyway <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but anyway it's I don't live with this idea that that I mean something and sometimes it's uh, um, I get vulnerable but at the same time I think it's uh, it's a way of protecting myself also to it's not fake modesty it's if someone comes to talk to me in the street they'll they will talk about my parents. Um, that's the way it is. So I've always, I've learned uh, to, you know, to just be very um, accepting those kind of compliments that it's as if people come to me and they celebrate my whole family. Yeah, sure. And another way in which you've been dealing with things better is that I believe with, when you were younger, you were incredibly shy, I guess, like your dad was, and incredibly private. And it was really hard for you to, you know, speak in public, uh, let alone perform in public, sing in public. Yeah, all of I that. come from 
that that shy country seems very far away, but sometimes I've had characters to play that were shy characters and it's so easy to go back into that mode. But I remember just the nightmare of getting into a room and just looking at my shoes. And with when I started... Uh, um, living with Yvon, who I'm still with today, he said at the beginning I was, I would never look into someone's face. Um, I, I was looking away at, at windows. Uh, I mean, it was so hard to connect. Yeah. Um, and, Yes, it was, of course, my personality, but I think once my parents split, we had to deal with paparazzis. When they split, it was paparazzis in the hotel, uh, in trees, um, oh across God. the room. I mean, it was horrible. But then the nerves of going on TV, going live, I mean, everything was just... Uh, nerve-wracking and yeah it it went away I think thanks to my children little by little yeah and also been in films like Lars von Trier films where you've had to expose yourself yeah. very much and I just wondered how you overcame the shyness for that I think uh that's all I wanted and that's all I would want today is to be able to be extreme I mean in, in characters to be able to Well, to have someone that pushes you in that, in those directions and also being lost and, you know, trying all kinds of expression. I mean, he was so demanding and, uh, it was a, such a revelation to, to be under his direction. Gosh. Um, <laughs> because he would, um, make me explore things and, being quite uh, direct. So, yes, of course, put your shyness away. But then it was also a lot of, there was a lot of pleasure in revealing as much as I could about myself. And I think a lot of actors are shy. It's not, it's not incompatible. On the contrary, I think it's for someone who's shy, that's all we want is to be taken out of our shell. And as an actor, that's what you can do. So let's move on to the subject of your music. It's a very important part of your life and career. And I believe you have another album in the works. I think in the works, you said yeah. <laughs> it took you a while to build up the confidence to write your own songs and to go on tour, as we've just discussed. And yet, as the New Yorker magazine wrote, few humans are as genetically equipped to project chic intelligence in song as Charlotte Gainsbourg is, <laughs> oh <my laughs> which <God>. is high, <laughs> high accolade from, uh, from high places. Yeah, can you talk about that new album and, you know, how much you like music? The thing I love is that I miss it so much when I do a lot of films and then mm -hmm. doing a lot of music that I miss, uh, yeah. I miss the films. So it's just wonderful to be able to, to hop from one to the other. Um, so yes, I'm, I miss touring also, which is such a surprise for me because it was always difficult 
to start with. I mean, it was, yeah, very difficult for the first, uh, first two tours were, were hard. And so this new album? This new album is not done. I'd say, I'd say 45%. Um, the thing is, I keep going in and then pulling back because I have a film, then going back in. So it's, it's always, it takes more time than if I was just mainly focused on that and only that. But the good thing about it is that I'm able to take some distance, see what is still worth it. Um, and the only thing is that when you write lyrics six months ago, they're probably not good enough for you when you yeah. go back to them. And because I, I don't feel that I'm a, a poet, I, I I just feel I have stuff to say at the present, um, and that easily goes away. I see. And what about fashion? Because, I mean, whether you like it or not, you're definitely a fashion and a style icon. I mean, a lot of women look up to you in the way you dress and the way you look. And of course, a lot of men, you know, I've got, you know, a lot of friends who say, oh, lucky you, you're interviewing Charlotte Gainsbourg. Uh, <laughs> You know, so there, there's, I mean, I know you don't think he, you are, but you are a, a style icon. So I, I just wanted to know how much you liked, you know, being a fashion model for brands and doing that kind of thing. It's like a recreation. It's, uh, I don't take it as a job because it, very often is it's to, well, to go to a fashion show is not work to go and do a photo shoot is not really work for me. I mean, compared to uh, being in a studio recording or being on a film set. So it's sort of having fun. And then, of course, red carpets and stuff like that. That's not work. I, I don't feel that I'm, I'm good at it at all. But I love um, dressing up. And <laughs> the first person who took me there was my sister Kate because she she made me dress up for her first photo shoots and uh, I remember our first photo shoot together she took um, haute couture dresses haute couture that I, I had never worn before of course and she put me in very extreme situations um in the cold in Brittany and stuff like that. So it was, we were always having a lot of fun. And then I met Nicolas Jesquière and started working with him and being friends and, you know, yeah. mixing friendship and work. Yeah. And that was so wonderful because he would take my own style. Uh, at the time I had jeans that I couldn't take off and and boots that I wouldn't take off so he would adapt to my style and um, and then he left and so I I, I met uh, Anthony Vaccarello before he was in Saint Laurent and suddenly this friendship started and I loved what he did for his own brand and then the fact that he entered Saint Laurent was suddenly so I mean, they offered for me to, to enter the, the house and it was just wonderful because I don't like, I hate shopping. I don't like fashion. I don't like looking for fashion. I, I'm, I'm, uh, you yeah. know, I, I'm, I feel very, very privileged because I can find everything in one very 
chic store called Saint Laurent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lucky you, Charlotte. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. Lucky, lucky me. Yeah. Uh, grief is, uh, is one of the greatest challenges that all of us human beings face and one from which there's sadly no escape. Um, of course, you experienced it at a young age. Uh, you were saying you lost your father when you were 19. And then there was the passing of your sister, Kate, which you were referring to also. Mm. Um, even though it's a dark and scary subject, it's one that you tackle head on in your songs and in your writing. And I just wondered whether you know, you had any lessons or not lessons, but, you know, advice for the rest of us who are grappling with grief? Ooh, no, <laughs> that's the, that's the difficulty is that there's no, no relief. And um, the thing is, I, I, I realized that everybody has their own way. And yeah, it's, uh, I live, I went through my father's death in a very different way than my sister's death. My father, I was uh, crushed, uh, wanted to die, didn't, you know, I, I, but I was at the beginning of my life and it was as if I had lost my legs. Uh, so when I met with Yvonne only a month later, um, he started just... Uh, holding my hand and and uh, dealing with that grief with me, never, you know, never saying, okay, now enough. Uh, so I kept the Rue de Verneuil. I went there. Going there was just uh, such weird feelings of going back to when my father was alive and then I had to go out of the house and go back to reality. So all these years, I think my my children uh my son in fact when i i was in delivery uh, do you say this delivery yeah when you were delivering uh delivering a my son uh yvonne said my my face changed i went from death to life yeah. and um so i think that was a um of course a huge help for many many things but but for that sadness uh for sure my children helped but i was still not dealing with reality with kate it was so accidental and so we were so unprepared and it, it was so traumatizing yeah that um i i couldn't stay oh yeah i mean i i had to leave I didn't have that survival in instinct with my father. I had it with Kate. Yeah. Of because I was putting my my own uh, family in uh, in such a difficult. Uh, I mean, they, I was I was pulling them with me. My father. I didn't listen to his songs until now. I don't listen to his voice. Uh, I didn't. I don't look at pictures. I don't look at. I mean, films. Because it puts me back in in a in a sadness. They don't know how to respond. Yeah. And so talking, talking, and writing, and writing that album about her and about my father uh, was um, something I needed to do. Fantastic, um, Charlotte. Your birthday is coming up this month. Yes. Uh, so happy birthday Thank in you. advance. <laughs> You're a young woman, of and you've accomplished more. <laughs> more than most people manage uh, in a lifetime or even more than one lifetime when 
you look back on your life and career, do you get a sense of relative satisfaction now? Or do you have the kind of sense again of slight insecurity? Uh, and do you have a need to do more? You know, what else is left for you to do? I want to do more. I, I feel that I'm learning about acting. It's the fact that I feel confident now to do something wrong. I don't care about doing something wrong today. And it's something I was so cautious about and so embarrassed about before that now are my good years to come. Uh, for not, not saying that I'll, I'll act well, but I'll take a lot of pleasure doing it because I know that you have to explore uh, being bad, you know, tr trying to do too much and then come back. And it's that's what the work is about for me. And I was always very cautious, being so scared of going over the top, I would do the minimum. But it was my fault. It was just because I, I was not daring. With Lars, of course, I had to dare. And um, I don't feel completely liberated today, but I know what I have to do. And it's so I want to have more parts. And sadly, being my age, um, you have less parts. And really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because you're, you look so youthful. No, but I still have parts that you know, that are close to the age I am. And it's not, I wish I had felt that way when I was in my 30s. Uh, even in, in, well, in my 40s, I was, I was all already uh, happy with the, the acting. So, but you're only 50, you're only 50, 51, 50, nearly 51. <laughs> It's horrible. Yeah. It's a horrible age for a woman. It's just, I used to think that 40 was terrible. You know, yeah. growing up, you think, oh, 40 is like close to death. And uh, no, now uh, 40 was great. I just had but a kid. But just think of a man, no, but think of a of a male actor of 51. Yeah, that's nothing. Well, he's not going to be sitting there beating himself up, Charlotte. So I think, you know, we have to, <laughs> we have to change things. You know, I was talking about it with Emma Thompson, you know, and she was saying the same, the whole ageism in film, that needs to be, you know. Well, yeah, I had an agent, an agent said to me, well, oh, you're, you're touching 40. That'll be down the hill for you. What, 40? 40 it was horrible so no yeah. no I agree we have to find um we have to fight for for parts and everything but but it's not yet there so yeah they're hard to find and very often there are so many actresses so many incredible actresses that there are not enough parts and also, also a big, big deal for us in France is that the movie industry is just not in a good state. So, of course, there's TV now and we can do series and for actors, it's wonderful. But um, it's not the same. We have to adapt to a new, completely new world. I know that American actors have started a long time ago, but we're starting, the French actors are starting only now. No, I mean, it's something that uh, someone such as you and people like Emma Thompson, you know, you have to kind of make or produce movies and there should be women directors, women producers, scriptwriters. I mean, I don't want to be too much of a feminist about this, but 
really it's women who have to lead the way because yes. it's still male dominated. And so to me, it sounds ridiculous that you should have a hard time getting parts. To me, but, that's totally ridiculous, but you know. Well, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not writing the scripts. If I was able to write, I'd love to direct a, maybe another documentary, may, maybe a, a, a feature film, but I'd love to continue, but, uh, I don't know if I will. So yes, yes, of course, women write for, <laughs> write for old women, please. <laughs> oh, you're not an old woman. <laughs> yeah, let me set the record straight. You're a young woman and we are looking forward yes. to many, many more decades from you of great work. Charlotte Gainsbourg. Hopefully. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so, so much for taking part in this program. You've been wonderful and I thank you for your sincerity. No, thank you. It was a lot. It was lovely to to talk to you. Yeah, my pleasure. And I wish you the very best with the opening of La Maison Gainsbourg in Paris later this year. Thank you so much, Charlotte. Thank you very much. Goodbye. A huge thank you to Charlotte Gainsbourg for accepting my invitation to Culture Blast. If you like this episode and the ones that came before, make sure and subscribe. That way you'll never miss a show and share the link with everyone in your entourage so they can listen too. And finally, give us a review. This podcast would not exist without the great Karina Pierre Rochard, its co-founder and executive producer, and without the great Ben Eschmade, who produces this podcast so wonderfully. I will be bringing you another great guest very, very soon, so do stay tuned. <laughs>